Well, today we're going to talk about relationships. So you think about this. It's an important subject. Could there possibly be anything more important than relationships? I mean, all these relationships we have, uh, you know, a relationship with God, the world, your friends, family, church, so forth, all important, very important. But today we're going to look at the relationship of friendships. These are important because your life is not measured by, you know, what kind of grades you had in school or, you know, what's your income or your good works or these sort of things. We often find our identity in, but our lives are measured by our relationships, often even by our friendships. And by the way, that's true for everybody. And so we need to go to the beginning here in Genesis and to ask this question, how did we come to have this need for friendship? We do have a need for biblical friendship. And we'll we'll define that in a moment. But how did we get to that point of needing biblical friendships? Well, to answer that question, you have to go back to the origin of relationships. Where did relationships even come from? And to answer that question, we have to gaze at the face of God. <laughs> we got to see his very nature, who he is. And so, where did they start? Well, here, look at this. Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I'm just going to read that one verse for now, but notice, notice the pronouns. They're plural. Plural pronouns. Us. Our. Our. And here's the point. The word us is indicating that the creator of the universe has existed, by the way, from all eternity past as one God in three persons. By the way, he was quite happy all by himself. He didn't need us because God doesn't need anything. So for all eternity, some would say God was lonely. That is certainly not the case. That is false. By the way, we call this truth the Trinity. So they're they're distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not the Father. They are distinct, different ministries and so forth. But they together make the Godhead, this one God we call the Trinity. So this eternal Trinity, who's always been and always will be, is the most fundamental expression of community. He is a community all by himself. And it's the most fundamental expression of relationship. He has always been a relationship. And since we are made in God's image, the Bible says, then guess what? We were designed to live in relationships. God made us that way. And so to affirm that truth, well, look what God says in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good. Wow. Oh, let's just stop there for a moment, because if you know anything about the book of Genesis, you've been reading along, and God's been saying, 
Ooh, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. Everything about his creation is good up until this point. That's a shocking statement. What is not good? As you read on in verse 18, it says, It's not good that the man, that's Adam, should be alone. So then what does God do? Well, he says there, right there in verse 18, I will make him a helper fit for him. So it's a shocking statement. We're we're finally told here in chapter 2 that that there's something that is not good. So here's Adam, the first created human being that God makes. He's he's there in the garden. God's given the responsibility of naming the animals, as you can see on the screen here. So Adam's naming the animals, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Dinosaur and, and all these other animals, as you can see. By the way, yes, dinosaurs were in the Garden of Eden. In case you didn't know that, God made the dinosaurs along with all the other animals. But anyway, he, he's there naming all the Mr. and Mrs. animals. And then suddenly God announces that something about his creation here is not good. It's not good that Adam is alone. You say, why? Well, we see the answer and the solution God's provided here. God causes Adam to fall asleep, so God's the first surgeon. And he gives, he gives Adam some anesthetic, makes him go to sleep. And then from Adam's rib, God takes that rib and he creates a woman named Eve. She is a fellow human being. She is a woman. She is from Adam, but he, she's not the same as Adam. And she becomes a friend and a companion. And this is important for us to note because none of us, in and of ourselves, by ourselves, can be a community the way God is a community. By the way, I got some pictures here from Answers in Genesis. Good website. Encourage you to use it. Have a look at it. It's a good website. But uh, Adam needed community. He recognized that. He's seeing all these Mr. and Mrs. animals, and he's looking around. I don't have a Mrs. I'm different here. He needed community in order to better image the, our God who is a community. And so what does he do? He, he, he was created. Adam was created. Eve was created to pursue, develop, maintain human relationships. And by the way, even in a perfect environment, in paradise itself, before sin entered the world... There was something that wasn't good. Isolation is not good. Isolation is not good. So Adam here, even though he's in in, in paradise, he wasn't happy without friendship. He wasn't happy without this community. The animals couldn't do that for him. So, by the way, like Adam, you and I were made for biblical friendship. We were made for this. And so... Those of you who like isolation and you like your own, your, your own fellowship with yourself, you, you need to fight this more than other people. Some people, it's the other extreme. You know, they, they, they can't live without friendship, right? That's one extreme. They, they turn it into an idol. But if you go the other extreme, you can turn yourself into an idol, your, your isolation, yourself. Some of you need to fight that. I don't know, whatever your reasons are for that, you've got to fight against that. Relationships are a mess worth making, as one book says. So then how did the breakdown of relationships happen then? So 
we got a perfect environment. God makes Adam and Eve. He didn't make any mistakes. So then, what happens in this world? Well, sadly, Adam and Eve fell into sin. As you can see here from Answers in Genesis, uh, Eve takes the fruit. She eats. She hands it to Adam. Adam and eats. So Adam and Eve fell into sin, and, and, and immediately their perfect relationship was shattered. We see that here in chapter 3. And, and look at chapter 3, verse 10, because... Notice the pronouns here in chapter 3, verse 10. It just reads like a, a long list of self-justifications. <laughs> Notice the pronouns. Chapter 3, verse 10. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. This is Adam speaking. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Did you notice how often Adam says, I... What, four times, I believe, in a very short verse? I, 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 I. And so as soon as sin appears on the scene here in this previously perfect environment, now, now it's gone from we, it's gone from a community to, to singular I. And the world's been a mess ever since. And so human history has just never been the same. Adam's sin, uh, as a result of that, has corrupted Everything, including God's creation, it's, created, it's corrupted our ability to pursue and maintain friendships. So some people just give up on relationships because they are hard. I'll admit they're hard. Our, our sin natures are going to war against each other. and Sin, by the way, even affects our very motives in what we do. I mean, you can see it in the kind of questions we think and we ask ourselves now just think about it. Here's, here's a few questions. And notice the common denominator in these questions. Do they like me? Uh, can I make them like me? Uh, will they love me? You know, what are they going to give to me? What are they expecting from me? Will they hurt me? The common denominator is the word me or I. And so those, are, those questions, by the way, are not inherently bad. But when you take note of the same recurring word, me, 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 it, it's, it's pointing out a problem. And so due to sin, we often pursue friendships for the wrong reasons, wrong motives, and you say, well, what is that? Often it's for our personal benefit, isn't it? Selfishness <laughs> is a key word here. We, we pursue relationships for ourselves. What's the solution? God provides the solution. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis 3.15 says, that God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring. Now he's speaking to Satan here. And he's, God says, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so God is pointing to the ultimate solution for our sin problem here. And so into this mess of broken relationships we have in this world, what did God do? God's, God's making a promise here. One day I'm going to send my son into this messed up world and I'm going to reconcile this world to myself. I'm going to redeem a people for myself. I'm going to adopt children into my family. And so then it's through Christ's perfect life he lived for you and me and his righteousness that he now stands in our place. He took our place on the cross. He condemned the sin 
bore God's wrath and paved the way to God. The only hope we have to God. So I want you to turn over to John 15 now. So that's the beginning. We're going to look at relationships, friendship here now. But look what John 15 says. This is Jesus speaking in John 15, verse 13. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So my friends, you my friends, the one here who lived a perfect life on your behalf, notice what he calls you? He calls you friends. And so because of Christ's death on the cross, he now befriends us so that you and I can now and go and befriend other people. It's the only way, the only way that's even possible. So at this point, you might be asking then, well, what is biblical friendship? We've, we've talked about it, but how do we define it? Well, I like this definition I found in a book. So I'm quoting from this book here. Biblical friendship exists when two people or more, bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ, pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Rather than serving as an end in itself, biblical friendship serves primarily to bring glory to God. End quote. Notice the purpose of your friendship. Not about you, it's ultimately about God. And so, for the rest of t- t- today here, what we're, gonna, we're just going to kind of go on a quick little journey here, kind of unpacking what biblical friendship is, what it's not, what, it, what does it look like, how do we form biblical friendship, what are some threats to biblical friendship, and how to recognize it if it's working in our lives. So here, here we go, quickly. This is just an introduction I feel like I'm just kind of doing a surface skim here. We don't really have time to, to dig in deep to much of anything. But here, here's my fir- uh, first question for you. Are you settling for relational substitutes? Relationships are important, but sometimes because they're hard, because of our sin nature and the other person's sin nature, we, we kind of give up. And we'll settle for something that is a substitute. Here, here's three substitutes to think about. And these are, this one's predominant in our world, the social media friendships. How often have you seen that, by the way? You'll go to a cafe or a restaurant or you go somewhere and uh, supposedly friends or families all together, but they're, they're ignoring each other. They're on their iPhones, their iPads, their computer. You know, it's... it's it's sad, but social media has tricked a lot of people into and deceived them into thinking they have real relationships when they don't. 
And, and so here's the problem. While those sort of things like your email and Facebook and Twitter and all the others, there's heaps of them, they promise you friendship, but what they actually deliver is loneliness and depression for a lot of people. Now, I'm not saying don't use those things. Okay? Use them for God's glory. By all means, use them for God's glory. But don't make them ultimate things. Don't, don't use them as substitutes for face-to-face relationships. Because they will produce loneliness and depression if, if that's all you're doing. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Our family has Facebook, but I don't like to use it. I've only used it, like, I don't know, two or three times my entire life. And one of the reasons is because on Facebook, there's this relentless happiness on Facebook that, that for me at least, and and I know others, it just creates discontentment. You know, everybody, you, you look at their photos on Facebook, for example, everybody's always happier than you are. They're having more fun than you are. They're going to all the places that I want to be and I can't get there, right? You know what I mean? Always having parties, going to, you know, whatever. You know, their life is always better than mine, and they're having a better time. My life's not like that, and neither is yours. And so if you're, if you're constantly, you know, on Facebook looking at their photos and reading about their life, you can become discontent. Well, <clears throat> if you are on Facebook, it is, reality is this. No one's life is always that way. <laughs> okay. So don't allow that stuff to deceive you and trick you. No one's life is like that. So be aware of those social media friendships. And number two, the the other substitute is the specialized friendship. This is a friendship that's that's based on a common activity or a common interest. You know, it might be, you know, the the senior saints, you know, they they hang out with one another, or the young marrieds, you know, they only hang out with each other, or the high school students are only with each other, or it's or it's only people who ride horses or whatever. Okay, those are examples of specialized friendships. The problem with that is they're limiting; they limit the scope of what a a friendship can be, and you don't want to do that. That's unhealthy. It's good to have relationships in in lots of areas. It expands you, and, and, and God can use that. And by the way, the, these kind of friendships are not useless. They, they're helpful. But uh, they often fall short of what God has to offer us in friendship. So it's good for you to kind of get outside your little special interest group once in a while. And then the third substitute is the selfish friendship. Uh, th- this is the, the relationship you might have with somebody. It's, it's just about you, really. What can I gain from this relationship? You know, I, I want them to flatter me. I want them to praise me. It's, or what can, I, what can they do for me? You know, in high school, you might want, you want, to, you want to be friends with the guy who's the best sports athlete. You know, he, he's, he's the jock of the school, and so I want to be friends with that guy. Or, or, or the big strong dude, with no, no, one, no one messes with him. If I'm friends with him, nobody's going to bully me, right? So what's it, why am I seeking those relationships? Because it's all about me. What, what can I gain from that? So that's a selfish friendship. And so there's two possible reactions to this. You know, one is that we can separate ourselves from people. We can isolate ourselves from people. We can become hermits. That's not helpful. 
Or the other one is, the other extreme is going from the isolation to the one where our friendships become our idols. Neither one of those is good. They're not healthy. So friendships are, are a good thing, but the problem is we often like to turn good things into ultimate things. When something other than God himself becomes ultimate, you've just bowed down to that God, the false God. It's idolatry. So let's think about then, how does the gospel relate to our friendships? The gospel being the good news of Jesus Christ. How does that relate to our friendships? Well, you are brought into friendship, number one, by Jesus Christ himself. And we just read about it here, John 15. He, he calls us friends because he gave his life. Greater love. There is no greater love than this, he says, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what he did for you and me. He laid it down, gave it up for you and me. So, in order, uh, so, so you're brought into friendship by Jesus for, for two purposes. Number one, you are to pursue lost people for friendship. For the purpose of evangelizing them, leading them to Jesus Christ, so they see Jesus Christ in you. He's their hope. And then number two, you're brought into friendship by Jesus Christ in order to pursue fellow believers, fellow Christians for friendship. That's actually grounded in Jesus Christ. As we just read in John 15, he's the vine, you're the branch, you got to stay connected, abiding in him, that's, a, that's the, the first relationship, and then that, that carries in onto your, your one another relationships. Here's another question for you to think about. What should biblical friendship look like? Notice I said biblical friendship. What, what should that look like? Well, here's where we find the book of Proverbs helpful. Well, it's helpful in many ways, but Proverbs is a deep well that I encourage you to, to go into. I don't even have time to read all the verses today coming from the book of Proverbs that talk about friendship. So let me encourage you uh, to read through Proverbs sometime, write down, meditate upon all those verses that deal with the relationship of friendship. Okay, we're going to just point out a few things. So turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18. The first one the first point I, I, I'd like you to notice here is that biblical friendship is constant. It's constant. In other words, it's not disposable. It's not just fleeting. It's not momentary. It's not like, you know, some people, like, you know, one day you have a best friend, the next day you have no friends, right? <laughs> it's all over the place, and you wonder, well, whew, what's going on with that person, right? And so Proverbs pushes against this fleeting view that, uh, of friendship. And look what it says, chapter 18, tw- verse 24. Verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Of course, ultimately, that friend who sticks closer than a brother is Jesus Christ, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Talk about constant. Jesus is constant. And by the way, in, in, in Bible times, where the family was everything, and, and a lot of young people wouldn't, would not have any other friends other than their own family members, that, that was often a, a, a situation that they would encounter. This kind of a statement would have been shocking. Look, look at chapter 20. 
verse 6. Chapter 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? Hard to find a faithful person. Very difficult, isn't it? I mean, you might have a lot of friends, but how many of those people can you truly call a biblical friend? How many of them? (laughs) Boy, it's hard to find those kind of people. Well, a true biblical friend is one who can be depended on. It's constant. It, it, you know, good and bad through the times of prosperity or through times of adversity. Some of you who are married, you would have probably said vows that are that would back up this idea of, of constancy. You know, it, it, when, I, when I gave my vows to my wife, it was, you know, it doesn't matter if it's good times or bad times, through sickness or in health. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be loyal. I bowed to do that. That's what a friend does. Well, many years ago, I read the book Lord of the Rings, and my second favorite character in that book is Sam. And Sam has this beautiful relationship, this friendship with Frodo. And here in this, this scene here, Frodo is, is attempting to do what he thinks is right. He wants to take the ring to Mount Doom all by himself. He doesn't want other people to die. And so I'm going to do this all by myself. And Sam, the, the ever-constant, faithful, loyal friend, is running after Frodo. He, he's like, don't do this by yourself, Frodo. I'm coming with you. Well, Sam can't swim, so he almost drowns, and Frodo saves him, pulls him in the boat. And when, when he gets in the boat, I, I love what he says. Sam, Sam says this to Frodo. He says, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. <laughs> I love that. He made a promise, and he's going to keep it. He, he doesn't care if every, the whole world's against him. He's going to stick through thick and thin. And it was a beautiful friendship. And it is a beautiful friendship. It's a good example of one. And, and Sam wasn't going to allow any adversity to come between him and his commitment to Frodo. And, and you come to the end of the book, and, and they're just about, Frodo's just about to drop the ring in Mount Doom and get rid of that evil thing once and for all. But he just can't go any farther. And you'll see in this scene here, uh, Frodo's just given up. He's weary. He can't move. And so Sam, the ever-faithful friend, says, let us be rid of the ring once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And every time I see that scene, I cry. It just makes me cry because you've seen those two stick it out through thick and thin. It's a beautiful friendship. And so you need to understand, biblical friendships are not fleeting. They're not easily disposable. They're characterized by true constancy, despite the obstacles continually tossed at them. So number two, what does biblical friendship look like? It's open and honest. It is open and honest. Again, we will, we will see this truth in Proverbs. Look at chapter 27. Chapter 27. So, to be open and honest is this, is this ability that, that God will give to you where you can actually speak truth in love and you do it for the good of your friend. So look what God says here, chapter 27, verse 5. 
Verse 5, God says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Whoa. We like kisses. At least I do. I love kisses. (laughs) But wounds? No, I don't like wounds. But God says the enemy is the one who kisses you. Your friend, a true friend, is the one who wounds you with their words. And they do it out of love. And that may not make sense to you. So you need to understand that a biblical friend is someone who's willing to wound you with their words. And those wounds are for your good. See, God says silence is not loving. You think kind of just sweeping things under the rug and clamming up is is loving? No, God says it's not. It's not loving. Look what he says in chapter 28. Look what God says. Chapter 28, verse 23. 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So, Once again here we see that uncomfortable honesty is going to win out over the sweet talk. And so if you're unwilling then to offend by speaking honestly, you're probably not being a real friend. God says you're not being a real friend. And so let me ask you this. Have you ever given your friend a hunting license to go into those deep, dark corners of your heart? Have you ever done that? Say, come after me. I need it. Because most people aren't willing to go there. Most people, you're not going to give them the hunting license to come after those deep, dark places of your heart. But hopefully you have at least one person. You say, please, I need it. That's what a good friend does. Number three, biblical friendship is careful. It's, It's careful in many ways. Uh, carefulness urges wisdom. It's, it's using consideration. How do you live it out in the life of a friendship? And so, well, a, a biblical friend is going to be careful. A, a friend should be careful in at least three ways, the Bible says. You need to be careful in your speech, in your timing, as well as your stewardship. See, how you, uh, what you say is important, how you say it's important, The timing of what you tell your friend is important. How you steward your trust with that friend is also important. Look at chapter 25. Chapter 25. Because Proverbs says, what we say should often be influenced by when we say it. You realize there's times you shouldn't say something, I hope. So you need to let the content be influenced by the circumstances. Look what God says here, chapter 25, verse 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Have any of you ever poured vinegar on soda? You know what happens? There's a chemical reaction between that that vinegar and that soda, and you can get... Like, you can kind of get like a volcano effect. In fact, I used to make volcanoes out of vinegar and soda. It's fun. You ought to try it if you've never done it. Put some soda in a, in a cup. Pour some vinegar in there. See what happens. It goes, builds up. 
pressure and kind of will overflow the glass. Or taking your clothes off on a cold day, is that's not fun, is it? You're, it's cold. It's not nice. And that's the point God's making here. They're, you, singing songs, that's, that's great, isn't it? That's a good thing, but there are times when you shouldn't do that. So take into consideration the situation. For example, you know, if you, you walk up to your friend and they've just lost, you know, their mother or father or a sibling or someone else in their family, it's, it's not a good idea to go and sing some happy song. That's the idea that God's saying here. Someone has a heavy heart, take into consideration what you do and how you say it. So singing songs, even though it's often a good thing, and you're, you're trying to spread joy to people who are grieving, it, it's often unhelpful. In fact, you can actually be insensitive. Look at another one, chapter 27, verse 14. 27, verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, what do you think of that kind of person? Well, God says they'll be counted as cursing. <laughs> Those of you who aren't morning people, do you like someone you know, coming in at 4 o'clock in the morning and say, Hey, wake up! Let's go for a 5K run! And you're like, oh, man, 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. Come on, dude. Like, that, that's not a blessing. That's a curse, God says, to do that sort of thing. The, the timing is off. <laughs> so if you are a morning person, I don't suggest you go and rouse your friend. You might be excited about something, but take into consideration what you're doing, how you do it. So biblical friendship is careful. And last, number four, a biblical friend gives wise counsel. Gives wise counsel. Look at verse, chapter 27, verse 9. Chapter 27, 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That's a good thing. Now, by the way, don't freak out over the word counsel. Okay? It's just, that's just ministry between you and your friend. Okay? You're, you're, just, you're ministering to each other, hopefully. All right? So don't freak out about that. Look at another one, though. Chapter 15 Chapter 15, verse 22. Verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So a biblical friend is going to give wise counsel. This is a good thing. You're, you're ministering to this friend of yours. And sadly, this is often absent in churches today. But in a truly biblical friendship, what are we doing? We're desiring to exhort one another, as Hebrews 10 says, exhort one another to love and good works. We're exhorting each other to be like Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And by the way, uh, again, don't, don't let counseling scare you. This isn't just for the, the person who has the, the Ph.D. or the degree in counseling or whatever it might be. This is something God wants all of us to be doing. It's living out the one another commands of Scripture to forgive one another and bear one another and love one another and so forth, right? It, and, and something should become natural with you and your friend. It should be natural, where you're just automatically helping each other. 
and, and coming to the scriptures. Scripture ought to constantly be coming to your mind for all the various situations of life. Well, let's move on to our next question. How is true friendship cultivated? All right, we've seen the definition. Uh, we've, we've, we've seen some substitutes. Now, let's, let's think about how is true friendship cultivated? In other words, how do we actually get there? I mean, that, that definition is amazing, <laughs> and it can be intimidating. But hopefully, it's encouraging. But let me be clear here, first of all, that there's not just an overnight solution. There's not just a quick fix. It's not like, you know, here, take a couple aspirin and go to bed, and you're going to wake up a biblical friend. No. There's no magic pill here. It's, it's a long process. Change is going to come gradually. It's developed. It's going to take patience and commitment. And it's definitely going to take a lot of God's grace in your life and others. So how is it developed and cultivated? Number one, you must invest time in developing friendships. <laughs> it has to take time. That's, that's the foundation. You don't get there by just, uh, you know, I want the greatest friendship that's ever been, and I'm not going to put any time. It doesn't work that way. Well, that one's kind of obvious, so let's move on. Number two, we must have a commitment to love God and love one another. The two greatest commands Jesus says are there. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Is that on the screen, by the way? Matthew 22? All right, anyway. It, so you know the greatest command, right? Love God. Second command, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You have to have a commitment to that, to obey God, to do what he wants you to do, or you're just never going to get there. And then number three, use shared activities to create opportunities for conversation. Use shared activities to have opportunities to converse, to talk with one another. And, that, and so that, that's going to require you to pull yourself out of your isolation, to do stuff with other people. Don't do it alone. And you've got to be intentional about that. You've got to be intentional about that. Uh, we're, you know, in New Zealand, we're busy people on the whole. A lot of people are busy. And so it might require you, for example, schedule a time to talk to someone. Okay. I know that can be a pain in the neck sometimes, but don't do stuff alone. Be intentional. Well, there's threats to our biblical friendship. What are those threats according to the Bible? Well, first of all, it's, of course, your own personal sin threatens your friendships. It's going to threaten it. Well, thank God we don't have to fight this battle alone. God's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. The Bible says. So it's no accident, by the way, as we, as we look at, I'm going to show you a verse here in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 is about this spiritual warfare, and it's coming immediately after he's given all these instructions on relationships. You know, children obey your parents, honor your parents. The master-servants relationships, you know, and so forth. There's various relationships that are mentioned there. And, and so now Paul comes to chapter 6, verse 12 in Ephesians, and he's He's showing us that our interpersonal conflicts are not just operating on a human level. Paul, Paul doesn't say that. In fact, Ephesians 6.12, he says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So you're going to have conflict. You need to be aware of that. It's going to happen. And so you are never my enemy. I'm never your enemy. So you need to have that perspective. Because the Bible says the wrestling that you and I experience, this wrestling is conflict. This conflict is not against flesh and blood. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. Your real enemy is these spiritual forces. Satan and all of his demons. So that's going to threaten the biblical friendships. So you say, well, what sort of personal sins can threaten my friendships? (laughs) Again, Proverbs talks about these we don't have time to read everything in proverbs but let me just mention this some of these here number one is hurtful speech so the the, the proverbs talks about a whisper a whisper is someone who's a gossip a slanderous person they go around saying you know sometimes it's true stuff they say about you but the slander is telling the false things about you and true and false things can both hurt don't they they hurt. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will hurt you. It hurts. And often those things stick around longer than the sticks and the stones hitting you. So gossip and slander is going to undermine the essentials of, of any relationship, which of course are trust, loyalty, and love. And for those of you who have read the book Lord of the Rings, you know there's there's that dastardly villain, Gollum, who's constantly trying to come between this relationship with Frodo and Sam. And at one point, he actually gets Frodo to believe him, and, and Frodo drives Sam off, and fortunately, Sam ends up coming back, ends up saving Frodo's life. If it wasn't for his loyalty and commitment to Frodo and the cause, it would have been done. But Gollum was a slanderous person who ended up, for a little while, separating this beautiful friendship between Frodo and Sam. There's, there, that's not the kind of person you want to be. And if you have anybody in your relationship like that, get rid of them. Uh, well, so, that's one. Another, another personal sin we need to be aware of is dishonest speech. Dishonest speech. That's when you're not doing what you said you would do. For example, the one that Christians do all the time is where we say, hey, I'll pray for you, and then we don't. God calls that dishonest speech. Another one that we might do is flattery. Flattery is, is where praise just falls off your lips. It's, just like, it's, it's like honey, and often it's for the wrong motives, and it's, it's all about the form. There's no... Sh- there's no show, you know, sorry, it's all form and no show, and we have wrong motives, like it might be pleasing people, or it might be a fear of man where we flatter people. That's dishonest speech. Another one's anger, and anger often comes from our unmet expectations, according to Proverbs, and so, you know, if you don't give me what I want, then I'm going to get angry. You know, and by the way, this isn't just uncontrolled rage. Our anger can show itself in being cold, giving someone the cold shoulder. Or we could just isolate ourselves from someone. God says, that's wrong. You need to deal with the conflict. Or we can go in our corner and pout. You know, our pouting's a little more mature than it was when we were five, but we're still pouting, right? Or it might be, we might just turn it into sarcasm. Our anger just 
becomes really sarcastic or uh, we might become irritated or frustrated. These are all just some of the forms that our anger takes on. But it's still anger. God says it's wrong. Uh, last one is jealousy. Jealousy. Look at uh, chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 34. Chapter 6, verse 4, 34 says, For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. Jealousy destroys you. This often deals with your aspirations and your goals. It, it often kicks in when we're starting to focus on some perceived gap between ourselves and someone else. And it really often becomes idolatry. So these are things we need to be aware of. Well, let's move on to the second threat to our friendship. Number two, the second threat to friendship is an incomplete grasp of the gospel. We don't understand the gospel. Not fully, anyways. But if we do, then it makes huge difference in our friendships. Biblical friendships require you to be transparent, to be open and honest. But that can be a difficult thing. It can be a hurtful thing. And, and the reason is we, we fear what may happen when we're actually honest about our struggles. See, you're probably like me. You don't want to be isolated. You don't want to be shunned by people. You don't want to be seen as an immature person, or especially an immature Christian, you know, especially pastors. You know, pastors, oh, yeah, they're supposed to be holy, right? They're on, they're on a pedestal. Some people put them on a pedestal. You know, they, you're, you're like just, you're just right, right be below the Trinity, some people think. You know, you can't sin. Well, that's rubbish. <laughs> that's rubbish. I sin every week. I have heaps of struggles, just like you do. And so, let's get real. These kinds of fears are really often flowing from an inadequate understanding of the gospel. We don't understand who we are. We don't understand who we are in Christ. And so here's the reality. You and I struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. We're all sinners, the Bible says. And so, as I've grown in my understanding of the gospel, this good news, I've grown to realize I'm the greatest sinner I know. And as I recognize that, that helps me to be gracious to you. And so when someone comes and talks to me about their, their sin struggle, whatever that is, hopefully, hopefully I'm not going to be self-righteous like a Pharisee. Hopefully I'm going to say, hey, hey, brother, you know what? God's good. God is great. He can, he can help you just like he's helping me. And that truth allows me to show grace to other sinners and not to be shocked by that struggle. So here's where the, an understanding of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, will help you in your friendships. Number three, a third threat to biblical friendship is false expectations. False expectations. What are those? Well, first of all, Number one, don't expect to have some huge number of close friends. See, even when God came in human flesh, he only had three close friends, Peter, James, and John. If God in human flesh only has three close friends, what makes you think you can have hundreds or even dozens? Another one is don't expect to be friends with somebody just because you want to be friends with them. Just because you want something doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean it should happen. See, there's this lesson I've been trying to teach you that, that I'm learning 
that unrealistic expectations destroy contentment. Unrealistic expectations destroy your contentment. It will. Let's move on to the fourth threat for biblical friendship is the homophobia boogeyman. Of course, you know a phobia is a fear, just a fear. And sadly, this, this, this boogeyman shows up in, even within Christian relationships where sadly many Christians are afraid of having any close relationship with same sex. You know, girls with girls, guys with guys. And so there's often, there's, there's two concerns that go with this. You know, I don't want to, you know, some guys are like, man, I'm not going to show any emotion in public. I'm not going to go and hug my guy friend because there's this concern for appearances. You know, what if someone thinks, you know, let's say, you know, one of you guys walk in to church here and I give you a big hug. You know, some people are thinking, whoa, could they be having a sexual relationship with one another? Are they homosexuals? You know, some people think that way. And so I'm not, I'm not going to do that sort of thing. And there's also this concern for honesty and integrity. You know, what, what if my same-sex, same-sex friend, even some Christians struggle with same-sex attraction? Even Christians can do that. And so our friendship could possibly become a source of temptation. And so that's a concern to people. And as I was studying studying the, the friendship between Frodo and Sam in Lord of the Rings, I noticed there's articles that have been written on the Internet saying that Frodo and Sam are homosexuals. I even read that David and Jonathan in the Bible. There's some who said David and Jonathan are homosexuals. And so, you know, people get all concerned about this. And it's sad because we need same-sex friends. We do. God designed us that way. But what's the solution? Well, don't run from it. Don't isolate yourself. Don't become a hermit. You gotta, if you have a sin issue, you've got to fight it. You've got to kill it. Mortify that, that sin. Mortify the flesh. And you say, how do I do that? You defeat sin with superior pleasure. That's what, that's what you do for all sin. You defeat it with superior pleasure. So be accountable and work on it. Defeat that sin through God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a, the, the fifth one that, that uh, is quite common in our world. You, you, none of you in here probably deal with this one, but the modern dating system, believe it or not, is threatening friendships. It threatens a lot of friendships. It's destroying a lot of friendships. I thank God for the, the wisdom of my parents who didn't allow me to get sucked into this whole modern dating system until I was ready to be committed to one woman for life. I mean, this, this stuff that goes on in junior high and high school and sometimes even, you know, little kids, you know, even as little as five years old. Hey, this is my girlfriend. I'm only five, but I have a girlfriend, right? That's silly. No five-year-old is ready for a lifelong commitment of marriage. So the modern dating system is, is in many ways, destroying friendships. And, and so, anyway, you say, well, what is the solution to that? Well, the solution is we need to get God's perspective on love. <laughs> it's not, what often happens with particularly these high school students who are dating one another, it's not love. That's, that's worldly philosophy, worldly way of thinking. See, the Bible says that God is love, and he shows us what love is in places like 1 Corinthians 13. 
1 Corinthians 13 in your Bible is very helpful. Have a look. You need God's perspective on love. You don't need Hollywood's perspective. You know, don't go to the library and read all these romance novels. Particularly don't read Fifty Shades of Grey. Heaven forbid, don't read that book. <laughs> that is not God's perspective on love. You'll get a lot of perspective on lust when you read that stuff. But here's God's perspective. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. God's helping to describe love for us here. That is the solution that we need. That gives us God's perspective on love. Notice it's not selfish. See, lust is selfish. Lust is selfish. It's all about me. What can I get out of this relationship? But love is, what can I do for the other person? What can I do for the other person? It's giving. Sacrificially giving. So there's two styles of love, if you will, that you and I can select from. It's God's view on love or the world's view on love. Which, which one are you going to go with? I would exhort you to choose God's view of love. All right, so let's end with thinking about what is the purpose of biblical friendship then? What is the purpose of biblical friendship? Well, you need to understand it starts with God, the gospel, Jesus Christ. And so friendship is a fruit of this gospel, this good news that's, that is, uh, well, you can turn to John 17 to see this. And so it, it's a unique witness to something that is a greater reality above and beyond you. So for for those of you who are married, your friendship with your spouse, according to Ephesians 5, is a picture of the relationship that Jesus has with his church. Your marriage is temporary, but the relationship that Jesus has with the church is permanent. So your relationship's to be pointing to that. It's a greater reality. Guess what? Your same-sex friendships, same way. Your, Your friendships with your siblings, the same way. It's pointing to a greater reality. So biblical friendship here, according to John 17, is demonstrating something. It's demonstrating a spiritual unity. And so I want you to see what Jesus says here in John 17. This is his prayer. He's praying to God the Father. And look look what he says. There's two purpose statements here. As he talks about friendship. So John 17. Oh, sorry, I need to turn there myself. John 17. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So. Notice the word so. So tells you, here comes the purpose. Here's the purpose for your friendships. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So, there you go. There's, there's the second purpose statement. 
so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Right? So Christians are to be in unity with one another. Why? Be- because as we are in unity, as Christians are in unity with one another, you're actually declaring who God is. You're showing His nature to the world. <laughs> you're showing the unity of the Trinity who is in perfect fellowship and community with each other. And that unity, by the way, is going to serve as a divine witness in, in, in at least two ways. Number one, your friendships can bear testimony primarily within the church to the unity of the body of christ see the body of christ is not to be divided it's to be perfectly united so that's the first way that your friendships can witness to this truth and number two your friendships can be a witness because they're hopefully bearing witness to the power of the gospel showing that god's good news is powerful before a lost and dying world who desperately by the way your workmates and your friends and all these people who are lost need to see this in action. What does a meaningful relationship with God and other people look like? They don't get it. Because an unsaved person is in relationship just for themselves. It's all about me. It's selfish. And so they need to, they need to see something that's unselfish. It's, it's about something bigger, a greater reality than themselves. So my friends, get the bigger picture here. Get the purpose for your friendship. See, this is what biblical friendship is, what it does. And so you need to understand, you and I are just living out a greater drama. We're just a small part of this great drama that's, that's being lived out in God's creation. See, we see fallen people becoming joined to one another. And in eternity future, we're going to see this great union going to be as we worship together. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation, myriads upon myriads of people in perfect union and fellowship with one another. And so we see the end of the story at the Bible. We, as believers in perfect unity, are like Jesus Christ, with Jesus glorifying God, and we're going to see the glory of God in heaven. And so my Christian friend, you need to understand, you're just a part of this wonderful story. <laughs> and so what do we have to do? We've got to live that out while we're here on earth. And so through biblical friendship, then our shared lives can be a testimony to that unity that comes from God himself, because he's perfect unity. Then you and I can have perfect unity well, may god be gracious to us and give us godly biblical friends may you and i work on being biblical friends for god's glory and honor let's pray